Turn with me to Judges 6. And while you're turning, I'll open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, please take this time. Pierce our hearts, we pray, with your word, your powerful word. Uh, we know uh, that it is, um, is directly from you and it is truth. And so we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to, to uh, take in your truth this morning. Thank you for your love and your mercy to us in your son's name. <clears throat> Judges 6. We've gone through, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, four or five judges now. We're on our sixth judge. If you call uh, Barak a judge, we, we went through Deborah last week and, and Barak was involved in that and some commentaries view him as a judge. Uh, so we're on our sixth judge in, uh, in the journey of Israel. <clears throat> you notice here I have, I guess it's kind of hard to see, uh, a picture of Salim Stoudemire. Of, uh, nobody make any comments. I, heard, I saw Gar doing this. <clears throat> This is my team, the Arizona Wildcats, and uh, good old March Madness. I love this time of year. I think uh, I know some of you out there can appreciate that. Um, last night, Arizona went up to our, our hated arch rivals, Arizona State Sun Devils. It was the last game of the, of the regular season, and uh, we barely pulled it out. It was, uh, I think ASU tied it up at 68 points um, with uh, a couple seconds left. I didn't get to see it. I saw highlights, but... Salim Stoudemire uh, was a likely hero. This guy's leading the NCAA in, in three-point percentage. It's like 50, 53, 57%, something like that. It's amazing. And it sounds bad for, uh, for you academic people. Uh, that's an F. But it's good in the basketball world, 57%. So this guy's a likely hero. And he, and he takes the ball down and, and he uh, pulls up a little, uh, does a little double pump uh, jumper and and, and is a game winner. And the Sun Devils can't get a last shot off and, and we won the game. It clinched a Pac-10 title. And, uh, thanks to the Huskies losing. And, uh, but this guy's a likely hero. If, uh, the game's down on the line, you're gonna give it to this guy. He can shoot. He can get open. Uh, he can get shots off with the defender in his face. <clears throat> now, if, uh, if, if the game was on the line last night and, uh, and Lute Olson, our coach, was to uh, say, Salim, sit down on the bench. Uh, we want to go with this guy. This is a Wildcat bench. This is actually about a year ago. But I, I got this picture, and it's cracking me up, because if you notice, it's just a, a bunch of white guys uh, with, the, with the black guy in there. But uh, slow white guys, this is the bench. You know, this is, they, uh, they ride the bench. This guy has circled. I don't even remember his name. He's... He probably averaged 1.5 minutes a game and probably scored even less than that. But if the Lute Olsen was to put him in the game and say, all right, game's on the line, you shoot the game winner, the guy probably would have freaked out. He's been in a couple games, never been in a situation like that. Uh, I would have been freaking out if he put him in the game. Um, Pac-10 title on the line, yada, yada, yada. But uh, this guy would have been a very unlikely hero, I would think. Salim Stoudemire was our likely hero. But this guy, if you put him in, you're not expecting a whole lot out of him. This is our Gideon. <clears throat> and this is, uh, we've, we've seen a, um, a like, likelihood, uh, um, a similarity among all the judges that we've looked at so far. And, and it's that they were all unlikely people to be chosen by God. 
And this is our Gideon this morning. I've entitled the message, Gideon, God's Clothing. And I kind of want you to get an idea of, of Gideon as God's clothing. And even us as God's clothing as we, as we look at, uh, at, this, at the beginning, at least, of the story of Gideon this morning. So uh, we're in Gideon, or we're in Judges chapter 6. In the first verse, uh, if you've been studying with us, you, you've seen this over and over and over again. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So we've gone through this almost annoying at this point cycle of Israel uh, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. God sends them a judge. Uh, they deliver them and they have peace for a long amount of time. And then the judge dies or, or uh, in most of the cases, the judge has died and, and they revert back to their old ways again. So we've got some cyclical behavior here. Going back to the beginning, it seems like. And we've seen it before. Uh, in the very, before the first judge came, Israel did, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then God sent Othmiel, the first judge. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. So then the Lord sends, sends Ehud. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So he sends Deborah. And here we are. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> now, now, get a perspective with me here. This is over a time period of, like, from the beginning, the first judge, when they first did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and to this point, where they did evil again, there's a span of a little over 200 years. So, it's a slow cycle, for sure. And generations have passed. And, and yet, I'm sure, I'm sure the stories were told to the kids. I'm sure, uh, um, Gideon's uh, generation, their fathers and mothers told them about Deborah and I'm sure they even uh, maybe knew of her uh, very well. Um, and yet, here they are, the, the next generation falling into this pattern again. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and God, once again, as we've seen, uh, he, he puts them, put his, puts his people under oppression. This time it's seven years. Uh, for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, we see in verse 1. <clears throat> Maybe you remember this quote uh, that I, I gave a couple weeks ago. It's Charles Spurgeon. God never allows his people to sin successfully. Their sin will either destroy them or it will invite the chastening hand of God. Two choices here. Uh, a fork in the road when you sin. It's either going to end up destroying you um, at least as Christians, it's either going to destroy us or it's going to invite God's chastening hand. His, the father figure drops in here. The discipline, the discipline comes in because uh, my father, I know when I when I uh, was was disobedient to him, uh, his chastening hand came down on me. Sometimes the belt, uh, but it brought me back uh, to obedience. This is God's purpose. His chastening hand. He wants to to bring his children uh, back into obedience. So they're lucky um, that destruction has not happened. But in a sense, sin destroys. And so in a sense, uh, destruction is happening. And Israel is, the more they're allowing themselves to fall into this, this trap of doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, um, they're seeing some destruction happen. And, and maybe it's, it's a little subtle to them. Um, but... I think we, we get here to a point where, uh, 
where God puts them into under oppression. Um, once they do evil, God immediately uh, puts them under oppression. And and I think it's to it's to show them in a very real way because they're so narrow-minded and I mean shallow-minded, I should say, um, that they don't see what it's doing to them spiritually. So God God shows them and uh, the the oppression. In this oppression of the Midianites, their possessions were destroyed. <clears throat> let's uh, let's read uh, verse from verse two. So they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they're put under oppression for seven years. Verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. Excuse me. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Verse 5, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. And they invaded the land to ravage it. So here, uh, the first thing under oppression, um, their possessions are destroyed. Okay? Uh, an annual invasion into Israel's land for seven years. Think about this. When the crops, crops come up about once a year, um, that, that first time must have been pretty scary. Uh, and they... A countless number of men and camels. Now, camels are, are actually were a very good uh, war, um, uh, an instrument of war at that time because they're desert animals. They could go long times, long periods without eating or or food or or drink or anything like that. Um, so they were they were swift war animals, and and it was exactly the right thing for Midian. Um, in order to oppress Israel the way that they were doing. It's kind of a slow death that they were giving them. Uh, they would go in, they would invade the whole land, countless numbers of them, like locusts. You all can remember the, the plagues, one of the plagues uh, of Egypt, uh, when the Israelites were in bondage there, was, was locusts. And, and so many of them come that they just destroy crops, you can't stop them. Uh, they may be, you know, there's little bugs, but when you get, when you just countless and countless numbers of them, uh, it's an overwhelming force. That's what this was like. A countless number of, of, of men and, and camels invading the land. Um, like locusts, they said. So there's a total destruction of crops and livestock. And the first time must have been pretty freaky when, uh, when the Israelites had to deal with this. Um, but then they come destroy everything and then they, then they leave. And the text doesn't imply that they really killed. They didn't come to kill. Maybe some killing of Israelites happened, but that wasn't their, their, their strategy was to just, to make them suffer, to take away all their resources so the Israelites had nothing. And, and after seven years of this happening, um, Israel has, has kind of learned how to deal with this in a, in a way. But we, we saw the previous oppressions, the previous oppressions, uh, um, before Deborah, that was like 20 years. So seven years have happened, and I'm thinking, that this has got to be pretty bad oppression. The oppression that was happening right now probably was worse than before, uh, because Israel, Israel is getting to a point for seven years where they don't know if they can handle much more of this, and and probably much more of this. If it, if this had gone on for 20 years, um, probably would have wiped them out. Uh, they're taking away all their food, um, and there's such a large number of of the Midianites that the Israelites are, are powerless to do anything against them. 
So their possessions are destroyed. Their, their morale, oh, I spelled that wrong, sorry, moral. Uh, morale is destroyed. <clears throat> Think of this. In verse 6, we see Midian was so impoverished, oh, sorry, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Some other versions say that Israel was brought low. Israel was brought low. And I, I don't think it's just a point of possessions. I think that they were defeated. They felt defeated. They felt discouraged. They felt depressed, I'm sure, after, after seven years of this happening. They were brought very low. They were driven to live in caves. Um, this kind of oppression only, only drives someone to, to hide. You can't do anything about it. We've got to survive somehow. They hid in caves. They were, they lived in these, in these caves. You see my picture down there. And they had to hide any food they wanted to keep. This is where we're finding Gideon. We're finding Gideon here, uh, just kind of introducing the character to you. Um, he's living in a cave. And, and he's, he's keeping, he's hiding all the food that he, that he can get, um, to try and hide it from the Midianites. And there's a sort of mentality that's going on here with the, with the Israelites. <clears throat> So after years of oppression, we see in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Here's the goal that we keep seeing. Um, before every judge comes, the, the oppression happens um, and it drives Israel to cry out for help. They're at such a point of, of weakness and of despair and, and they're in such trouble that they have no choice. And that's God's point. God wants them to, to get to the point where they they realize that they have to depend on him. That's their only way for success. Uh, unfortunately, it takes oppression. It takes it takes judge, judgment um, because of the evil that the Israelites were doing um, to get them to this point. But they cried out for help. This is another type of cyclical behavior that we're going to see. We saw it in, uh, um, right before the first judge, Othniel. We saw it before Ehud. We saw it before Deborah. And now we're seeing it before Gideon. They cried out for help. Let's read verse 7. When the the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Now notice, in their past circumstances, when they cried out, the Lord sent them a judge. This time he sends them a prophet first. He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their lands. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, excuse me, in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. So he sends him, he sends him this message and, and he's telling them, don't you remember? This is a new generation, but don't you remember the amazing stories? That your, that your fathers and grandfathers have told you about what I did? Do you not believe? I am your God. And yet you have not listened to me. And so there's a, there's a rebellion here. In the past, uh, in past scripture we've seen that it was, it was quoted as they forgot God. Um, but this is a real evil here. It's, it's a rebellion. And God sends a prophet to give them a message. And he's telling them, uh, he doesn't, God does not want Israel simply to cry out as they have been, uh, for help just because they're in trouble. What God really wants is not just regret, but He wants repentance. This is the lesson that He's trying to teach Israel. And I, boy, that hits, it hits me hard. I hope it hits you. 
because how many times do I get to that point? How many times do I get that point of weakness? Um, I know I've been in rebellion. I know I've, I've been away from the Lord. And things are just going cruddy. <clears throat> and I know it's because of what's going on. And I finally say, Lord, I know I need you. For, forgive me. I, I thank you for your forgiveness. I've, I need to turn around here. I need to repent. I need to take a, turn a 180 and go back towards you. It, it's unfortunate that it takes times of trouble for me to do that. True repentance, uh, oftentimes it, it's, it's a non, and I say this, uh, Israel was being very selfish. I'll say that. Um, and, and as far as, as, as when they, when they got down to the, in the dumps and the weakness and they were with no food, had to live in caves, it was then they, they cried out for the Lord. They were only thinking of themselves. Repentance is a realization that, that God is holy. And that, and that he wants me to, to seek only him and only, only holiness. To live selfishly is to just, is only to do otherwise. <clears throat> so here we meet Gideon, the sixth judge. <clears throat> now Gideon, as I said, is a picture of, of the rest of Israel. Uh, defeated and discouraged. And this is kind of, this is kind of implied by uh, the scripture we're about to re- read. Um, his situation, um, but also his conversation with the, with the angel of the Lord here. Let's read in uh, verse 11. I think we're at. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing in a wheat, sorry, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midians, Midianites. So here we are. We've, we've got Gideon hiding his food in a wine press of all things. Wine press is not made for, for wheat. But he's, that's where he's hiding it. Verse 12. When the angel, sorry, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they, when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon's saying, I've heard all these stories. I, I, I've heard and I believe that God did miracles and did amazing things, but where are they now? Has God, God's left us? It's obvious. We're, we're here impoverished, uh, weak and, and poor. Um, where's God's promises? I don't see the miracles that, that are happening. And so he's he's in a defeated state. State. Once again, he's living in a cave. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, and he has very little food. He has very little fruit, pride, or hope. And I think we can see this in the conversation that we're reading. Now, a thing that I missed, but the commentaries uh, that I was reading totally—they spent a long time saying, you know, commenting commentaries commenting on on this aspect was was what the angel of the lord called him and as we read we're going to see that the angel of the lord is also called the lord and and uh it's most likely that this was jesus christ in human form obviously not a human himself he hadn't uh he hadn't come down yet but he was in human form and gideon didn't recognize him 
Um, but it says an angel of the Lord. It says it's another text in the Old Testament. It calls him an angel of the Lord. Um, but it's Christ. It's, it's God himself. And God himself uh, comes down and he calls, he calls Gideon a mighty warrior. Now this has struck, struck a lot of people funny. That here is this, is this, uh, weak, impoverished man, and the Lord is, is coming to him and saying, Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Why does he call him a mighty warrior? I wanted to look at this story a little bit, uh, from God's eyes. Um, we've been looking at so much at the judges. Let's look at them through God's eyes. Why is God, uh, why is God calling him a mighty warrior? Here's what Gary Enrig, um, I, author I was just introduced to, a very good author, he says, <clears throat> other people, he's talking about everybody now, other people look at us and see our flaws and failings. God looks at us and sees our possibilities through his transforming presence. He knows what we are, but he is much more concerned with what we are going to become. So I think that this is what the Lord is saying to Gideon. He, he can see that Gideon is not in the state of being a mighty warrior. But God sees us as what we are going to become. God is, God is, he's given some foreshadowing to Gideon, obviously. But he's telling Gideon this is what he's going to become. How encouraging is that to hear, huh? If God could see me, for, uh, God does see me for who I am. Uh, <clears throat> it's depressing oftentimes. And yet, the hope, the, the encouragement is that, is that God sees me for who he's making me. Um, Michael brought this idea into my head that God's plan for us, God has a plan for every one of us. Uh, but we have a start, we have a finish. And God's plan is to get us to that finish. And God's plan for us does not involve uh, that we disobey Him. He knows it's going to happen, but His plan is a straight shot. Look at this detour that Israel takes. And and here's what's encouraging, is that we know that Israel takes this, this detour. They're, they're doing things that is not in God's will. He, he's, caught, he's constantly had to go back to them and bring them to a point where they, they depend on Him. But this is Israel's journey. The, the encouraging part is to see where they go. They're still going to get there. God is, is faithful to complete that good work that He started. We have that promise. Uh, we can see that promise with Israel in, in Revelation. Um, God is bringing them there. Israel has had to go, go on this journey. Um, and I think Gideon probably has, has gone on this journey a little bit. But God's promise to him by calling a mighty warrior is him saying, I know where you are. I know where you've been. Uh, but I'm, I'm still, I have a plan for you. And this is where you're going. He's going to use him. So, through, by looking at Gideon through God's eyes is, is encouraging. Now, Gideon has a couple of issues we're going to see. I've got a little, if you can't tell, it's a little guy beat up holding a white flag. He's looking depressed. Um, Gideon's discouraged. I've already mentioned that. He thought that God didn't work like he did in the past. And he had already failed in his own strength. I'm sure the Israelites tried with all they could uh, to keep the Midianites out. Um, especially after the first couple of years, you're thinking we've got to, we've got to do something about this, and yet they failed, and, and we find him in a, in a failed state. 
He also had an issue of insignificance. He had no confidence in himself. And, and this is, is a huge point to why, uh, to why God is even seeking out Gideon, I think. Is that Gideon is a, is a weak man. And he knows it. Let's read, uh, let's read on in verse, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> the Lord turned to him and said, so Gideon just finished replying to the angel of the Lord. God is, how can God be with us? Uh, we're not seeing the miracles he's doing. We're not seeing, um, God, you know, active in us right now. Verse 14, so the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. So he recognizes that he's weak. But, but here's something that I think that we often fail to, to find the difference in. And, and it's in humility and insecurity. I oftentimes uh, view my own humility as, as insecurity. And I think it's, it's, it's bad to blur those lines. Gideon was a humble man. He knew that he was weak. Um, he knew that, that he was the least in his family. Uh, that he was, that his family was the least in his, in his tribe. Um, and so, he was a humble man. We're also gonna see Gideon though struggle with insecurity. And, and there's a difference here. It's good to be humble. It's good to recognize who we are before God. And yet the insecurity aspects cripple us. The doubts, uh, that they cripple us. There's a difference here. We're seeing with Gideon. He had no confidence in himself, which was good. Uh, because it allowed room for, for the Lord's strength. It allowed room for the Lord to work. And it's only when I'm, when I'm truly humble and recognize that my success comes through Him, uh, <clears throat> that He's gonna work. Because it's then that it's very obvious. Here's this weak man doing things for the Lord. It's got, it's obvious it's the Lord's strength. The Lord wants to glorify Himself through us. The Lord will, uh, through our weaknesses. Don't be so, so hard on, on getting rid of your weaknesses. It's very natural for us to, to hide the things that, that make me less than, than you. Um, the things that I struggle with that you're good at, it's easy for me to hide them because I don't want, I don't want you to see me that way. And yet, this is, it's only here where the Lord, the Lord uses us. Um, it's very obvious if, if, uh, you were to do something extraordinary, uh, in something that, you're normally not good at that it's the Lord's working. The Lord wants it to be obvious that it's Him working. <clears throat> Gideon has issues, and yet his destiny is to be a warrior. So we see a growth process happening with, with Gideon here. Let's continue reading in, uh, in verse 16. He just finished saying that, that I'm the least of my family. The Lord answered him, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. There's a key verse right there. I will be with you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 17, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the yoke. 
So we see a little credit here for Gideon. It's a, a famine's going on. They don't have any food. And yet he prepares a feast for the Lord. The angel of God said to him, verse 20, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of a staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consumed the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abysrites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Take down, Tear down your father's altar of, to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on, on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a, as a burnt offering. So, so Gideon's going through a, go, a growth process here. And his first assignment is a whopper. I mean, you're talking about a guy uh, who, I've said it, he's, he's a weak man. Um, he, he's discouraged, he's suppressed. He has been brought very low. And his first assignment is to go into his, his dad's backyard and tear down the idol that his dad built. Now, it's hard for me to relate to this because my father's a godly man. But if my father had been, was uh, this, not only um, very much into this, this idol worship or something else, and, uh, and he was, now, Joash was probably not only into this himself, into Baal worship and, and, and with this altar in his backyard, but he was probably a, a center for the town uh, to where the town probably came to this altar in his own backyard. Um, that's just an assumption because the Lord goes, him to, goes to him to tell him to tear this down. Now, whether that's not true or not, uh, I don't know. But, uh, but the fact is, uh, God commands him to go into his own backyard, to his own house, um, in a sense, confront his own father. That's scary to me. It's a big first assignment. Uh, and yet God has a, has a plan for him. And there's a reason why, why Gideon has to take this first huge step of courage uh, before he goes out and, and delivers Israel. There's a process here. <clears throat> so his first assignment, uh, there's a couple points uh, that we see um, with him doing this. Sorry, let's... Uh, oh, we already read that. Okay. Um, first of all, Baal must go before Midian can go. So the Lord tells, tells Gideon to go and get that, that one altar to that God out before the oppression can be lifted. There's a priority here. Who is your God? Show me in obedience that I am your God and then I will give you victory. A lot of personal application there, don't you think? Baal must go before Midian can go. Personal priority comes before victory. I must get, who is my God? <clears throat> Why am I struggling with the same sin over and over and over? I don't know. God, help me. Uh, I cry out to him all the time, and yet I, don't, I fail to look at myself and to look at to who is my God? Who am I serving? <clears throat> Second point, God's altar cannot be built until Baal's altar is destroyed. So he tells Gideon to first destroy that altar. Get rid of it. God's altar cannot stand 
next to another God's altar. He tells him to destroy it uh, and then build mine on top of the height. So it's a little higher, probably near that same altar. Two gods cannot coexist. We know that. A very strong New Testament principle, very strong in the Ten Commandments. Uh, only one God can exist. Who is your God? And we start in our own backyard. Spiritual victory begins at home. I first must start with myself, my family. Uh, <clears throat> many of you know, if you have unsaved relatives that are close to you, that's often the hardest thing to do. Uh, maybe not only to to be a testimony to them, um, but it's tough because you're with them a lot. Uh, they they see you all the time. They probably see some of your weaknesses. Um, it's a hard thing. But we first must tackle uh, facing our home situations before we can go out. I think that's a, a good principle here. Gideon started in his backyard. Obedience is the key. Verse 27. So Gideon, Gideon was given this assignment. He's going to go do it. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than daytime. So he finds a little niche in there. huh? Uh, he obeys the Lord, but he does it secretly. In the morning, verse 28, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and a second bull sacrificed in the newly built altar. Uh, I skipped the point here. One thing I want you to notice is that the bull, uh, now there's, ton, sorry, there's tons of things I can pull out from this. And there's tons of things uh, that the commentaries have pulled out in, in the little, the little nooks and crannies of this, of this first assignment. But notice that the bull, uh, that Gideon was supposed to take to tear down the altar was supposed to be seven years old. That's the exact number that of the years of oppression that they were under. So this bull represented their oppression, I believe. That's why it's supposed to be seven years. Uh, it represented um, all, all this all this oppression that they were going through, and it was it was that bull, uh, it was that um, oppression that was supposed to to get rid of their their sin, that God. Um, it's, it's, it seems pretty clear to me at least that, that God's purpose of oppressing them he wanted to show them that my whole purpose for, for making you go through all that was so that you would recognize that, that Baal, that Asherah is not supposed to be your gods I am, I am your God so it tears down an altar with the seven year bull <clears throat> Gideon obeys obedience is the key um, where did I stop? Ver, uh, read verse 28 starting verse 28 in the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they, they called Gideon Jeroboam. I don't know the best way to pronounce that. Jeroboam. Saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the, the Abysrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling 
them to arms. And also into Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, so that they went, so that they too went up to meet them. So here's his first act of obedience. And look at all the good things that happened. Joash, the man who built the altar to other gods, who is steeped in this idol worship, is, is transformed. He defends his son. And he says, even though he was the one who was advocating this other worship, he says to the men, uh, you're not going to kill my son. You know, if Baal really is who we think they are, who we think he is, then let him prove it. Joash is transformed. Must have been mighty scary for, for Gideon to go into his own father's backyard and tear down his father's idol, his idol worship, his way of, his way of worshiping, probably a way of life. Um, and it showed that he went by night and did it secretly. And yet, yet here's a great aspect that the Lord rewards him for. His father, his own father is transformed. Prepares Gideon for future assignments. I mentioned this. Um, he establishes a reputation. And all of a sudden, he, dr- he blows a trumpet. And all of a sudden, people, uh, a large amount of tribes are, are following him. Gives him courage to act in greater tasks. Foreshadowing of, of the future uh, victory that he's going to lead Israel to. <clears throat> God's clothing. I mentioned this before. Think of this aspect of Gideon uh, being God's clothing. Gary Enrig, again, I quote him. He says, The Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. Clothing does not fight the wearer. It submits to the human body and moves with it. But human beings are not passive garments. We can quench the Spirit and resist His work in our lives. We know from Scripture that we have the ability uh, to push the Spirit down and to not be that the, the loose clothing that, that forms with the body and submits to, to what I want, uh, or sorry, to what the body wants. Uh, we are able to be, like, if I was my shirt, I would suddenly have the ability to be all starched up and not let my, let my arms move, right? That's kind of a sense, I hope you're following me with that. And I know it's not that difficult of a illustration. But um, there's, a, there's a sense to where uh, God is wearing us. His Holy Spirit indwells us. He wants to, he wants to be uh, let out in our lives so that we are, are simply his instruments doing what he wants. Uh, Gideon fought this a little bit. He, he questioned the Lord and then... And then uh, he went uh, during the night, very passive kind of uh, obedience. Um, and yet the Lord is working through him because of his obedience. Although he might have been a little uh, firm in, in the way that he allowed the Lord to deal with him, he still obeyed. <clears throat> obedience is the key. How hard is it for me to want to obey? We've talked about this uh, so many times in this church um, Grace walk. We've talked about um, about the Lord seeing me as, as a perfect person uh, because of Christ, and I am and I am wholly His. And yet, we talked about how we still have a fight towards obedience sometimes, and and it's not necessarily what we want to do, even uh, when you don't want to do it. That's probably the most rewarding times that you can obey. Uh, when your when your flesh uh, is is fighting against against doing what you know is right, that's the time when the Lord's going to kind of cause you to grow, and that's that was Gideon's process. He felt that, and it's going to turn out to be to do amazing things. 
Uh, the Lord sees you guys. The Lord sees me uh, for where I am going, for who he's turning me into. Um, the question is, you saw my little detour thing that, that, that Michael helped uh, me understand. Um, how far of a detour will we go before the Lord will, will hit the finish? Uh, how firm of, of clothing will, be, will be, we be to God? Unfortunately, this would be a great point to, to finish. Um, sorry, let me read you this quote too. Howard Hendricks, <clears throat> Gary Henry quotes him. Lord, here I am. This is his prayer. I want to be your suit of clothes today. I want you to take me and use me. Just walk around in me today. Good prayer, I think. <clears throat> We're going to see one more instance. Unfortunately, I couldn't close on that. i got to finish chapter 6. It would have been nice to close on that, and it would have been a nice challenge to you all. I think this is a good challenge here, though, also. We see, we see Gideon take this, this step of obedience, and God is really working with him. Uh, and, and yet, the cyclical behavior that we see in Israel, we almost see with him. We almost see him take another step back. And, and, he's, and he, um, I just answered the question for you. Uh, flee setting, fate or death. Let's read uh, from verse 36. We'll finish up the chapter here. <clears throat> Gideon said to God, so, so, okay, you know the context. I won't give you more context. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, there's a setting up for disaster right there. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and ran out the dew, a bowl full of water. You see my little illustration there. It's kind of hard to see. but Then Gideon said to God, why is, why is Gideon saying this again? I don't know. Then Gideon said to God, verse 39, do not be angry with me. He knows he's pushing it. Let me, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, though God did so, only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So God has amazing patience. We've seen other aspects where, where someone has questioned God, um, other instances in the Old Testament, and, and God deals with them. He says, why are you questioning me? And yet he has amazing patience with, with Gideon, I think. Um, it's because he, he has a plan for Gideon. Gideon takes a step back. And I believe the question is doubt here. Uh, the fleece setting is an act of doubt. Because if it wasn't, then, then why would he ask him to do it two times? He probably had some sort of uh, rationale, rationalization going through his mind. Uh, you know, he makes the, uh, God makes the fleece uh, moist and the rest of the ground dry. And he probably thinks, oh, what if that's coincidence? You know, what if the fleece is much more apt to, 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 to save that moisture? What if the ground was moist and just dried up before the fleece did? Even though he wrung out a whole bowl full, uh, he still had this, this compromise in his mind. Um, <clears throat> it's a process, I think. We can, we can look at Gideon and, and blame him and say, you are so stupid. You just said the Lord's promises. He, he knew that it was God. There was no doubt in his mind that it was God. The sacrifice of the food... Uh, showed that it was God making this promise. He knew that God 
lived up to his promises. And yet he still had this, this quota for God. Just, just one, don't be angry with me. Just let me do this one more thing. Getting already knew God's will. Uh, the fleece setting was dictating to God on Gideon's terms. He said, here's what I want you to do. If you do it, then I'll know that it's, that's really right. And it didn't solve the problem. He had to ask God twice. Um, I'll close with this thought. It's very tempting for me to still to be a fleece setter. Uh, to say, Lord, I want to know your will in my life. Um, here's, uh, here's something that, and I call it faith. I say, I have enough faith to know that if you do this little miracle for me, then it's obvious to me that, uh, that it's your will. And, and we probably do this more than we think. I hope not. But, but it's, it really is an act of doubt. It's not an act of faith. Um, seeking the Lord's will is, is, should not done, be done by flea setting, especially in this age of the church. We see other instances in Jonah and in, in Acts chapter 1 where, where they were trying to decide the Lord's will and they cast lots. And, uh, and, you know, whatever the dice rolled or however they did, they cast lots back then, uh, then that was the Lord's decision. I don't believe that it's, this is the way that, that we should decide the Lord's will nowadays. And largely in part because we have the indwelling spirit, um, and largely in part of because of, of a great verse in James chapter 1. James 1, 5 and 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must not—he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I think Gideon was very extremely lucky, lucky not to have the wrath of the Lord upon him by, by taking that, that second uh, instance of doubt. Um, but the Lord was gracious to him, because he had a plan for him. Lord's been so gracious with me. I, <clears throat> this is the age of grace, yes. And yet, we saw this morning, uh, in His mercy, grace and mercy are, are, are very similar in certain ways. Um, I don't deserve anything. I don't even deserve to have God call on me. Um, Gideon did not deserve God to, to call on him. He took a, a big risk by, by testing God even further. Um, let us let us simply remember that. Let us uh, be encouraged to know that we have been given this much grace. Encouraged to know that that it is Christ uh, that God looks at, at, not not me, and He sees me for for where I am going. As He saw Gideon as a, as a mighty warrior, even when he wasn't yet, uh, He sees me for for the end of my life, what he, where He's making me. And it is a process. Um, we all will have times of doubts. We still will in the, in the future. But be aware of the process. Be aware of sanctification. And, and strive. We must seek the Lord earnestly. We must strive to get there. The fact that it is a process, uh, it's not going to be easy to get to that, that finish point. And yet, uh, and yet, God is faithful in completing the good work that he's doing. Um, please reevaluate your relationship with Christ this morning. 
do what is your relationship with Christ like? Gideon had to cut down that, that altar before God would use him to deliver Israel. What altars are in your life that need to be cut down? I think I have a couple of my own. And, and God's working with me uh, through this process of, of showing me what those altars are so that, and, and giving me grace to cut them down so that He becomes God in my life. The process of sanctification, that's what it is. What is God in your life? Do you even have a relationship with Christ? Maybe you don't. In that case, that's the first step to take. Evaluate your relationship with Christ. If there are things in your life, I, <clears throat> Leverence brought up uh, uh, Benji's message a while ago about um, the in Joshua, maybe you remember, the, the purging of Achan's sin. What a powerful message that was to, to remember how powerful sin is in our lives. Sin destroys. And God brings his chastening hand. Thank, thank goodness that, that he brings his chastening hand upon us. But still remember that it says sin destroys. May we pray for wisdom. And, and may we believe that God will give it to us because he will. And that's how we'll be able to know his, his uh, will for our futures. <clears throat> a lot of points there, I know. Um, I pray that, uh, that we as a church um, will be one of wisdom. And may we in prayer uh, become a church of wisdom to where we know his will for our lives. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are so thankful that you are a God of grace. Interesting to, to see the grace that you showed to Gideon. We're so thankful for so many instances of, of grace that you have shown to us. Thank you for using us. Thank you that, that we don't have to be um, totally discouraged and, and have those insecurities um, that, that Gideon almost, uh, <clears throat> almost crippled himself by, but that you are working with us and that we are in a process uh, towards godliness. Father, I pray uh, for <clears throat> anyone uh, that might be hearing this message that uh, then they might be convicted of sin, that I might be convicted of sin, and that we might, uh, wherever we are in our relationship with you, um, be very real about that and know that you see us for who we are and, and where that you uh, want to take us. It's in your son's name where we pray. Amen.